Um, as we turn to hear God's word, let's first pause for a moment of prayer. God, each of us wakes up and spends some amount of time getting ready and putting clothes on to show up in many different places. And this morning you have prepared for us words about how we are to garment our souls, our hearts, our minds with the virtues that we see in your son, Jesus Christ. And so as we explore these texts, may your Holy Spirit come. May you be present and may you speak. May the word be our ruler, the spirit our teacher and the glory of Jesus our single concern. In whose name we pray, amen. The first reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, Forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. second reading is from Ephesians uh, chapter 6 verses 10 through 19. Finally, be strong in the Lord and put on the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, 
put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. And pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes I wonder what you hear in these beautiful uh, passages from this letter, but also uh, when we read from scripture. I wonder what stirs in you and what questions you have and what things really pique your interest. As I listened to this passage, I heard a word about evil, a word about God, and a word about us. And I want us to focus on the truth or the thought that we, one, shouldn't underestimate evil or the evil one, but two, that we can't overestimate the power of God. And so then, three, we have the ability to stand strong with this armor that Christ gives to us. So evil shouldn't be underestimated, God can't be overestimated, and we stand strong. So first, we should not estimate evil. Put on the whole armor of God, the messenger of Ephesians says, so you can stand strong against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood against each other primarily, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places. To our 21st century ears, perhaps this passage about the evil one and about these evil cosmic powers seems a bit strange or fanciful in a way. Or perhaps that's just a little how I experienced this passage to begin with. And I just want to name that up front. I mean, on one hand, it seems as if we, or at least I do, have a grasp of sin and evil in the world when I see uh, Facebook posts from friends that say, for the evidence of human depravity and evil, I only have to look as far as my two-year-old, <laughs> which just raises all kind of questions for me. <laughs> it makes me wonder what parenthood's going to be like. You can fill me in after the service, of course. Or perhaps we experience this as we're creeping along the parking lots of I-90 or Western Avenue during rush hour, trying to make it home. A little less lighthearted, though. We grasp the sense of evil when our eyes catch news headlines of perilous domestic conflict or governments taking the very lives they are empowered to protect. 
We grasp the sense and pervasiveness of evil in this world, sure, but we perhaps struggle to comprehend it and understand it fully. And like this passage, I would venture to say that we don't and cannot. And the reason why this passage is strange or even, if you'll permit me, laughable at some parts is because we are formed in shape and a part of a culture here in 21st century and part of this Western world here in North America that has bought the myth that we can explain just about everything. Our culture, this contemporary Western culture here, of which we are a part, is the brainchild of this movement, this humanistic movement called the Enlightenment that happened around the 6th century, 16th century, in which great minds turned away from this farce of fairy tales and religions toward the glorification of the human mind and logic and reason. And the underlying prideful assumption being that humans with the tools of math and science and reason in hand can understand and explain away everything that is, was, and will be, both virtue and vice, good and evil. Now, of course, math and science and reason are all wonderful tools of human exploration. But when we trust in them as a mechanism to understand all that there is, then perhaps we grossly fall short of a worldview that can make sense of the world in which we are a part of. And I say this because perhaps sometimes there's this prideful assumption in the Western world that we've progressed beyond more primitive cultures or cultures that still exist today that still maintain an open worldview in which evil or the evil one is a pervasive force that is an unhinged orchestration of malignant power in the world. Something that is personified in scripture as the evil one or Satan or the devil. Yet here in the Western world, most often we have turned aside from this sort of narrow thinking as we might term it and explain every occurrence of evil or wrongdoing with psychological or sociological or scientific categories. If a crime happens, we blame it on the person's upbringing and experiences. If there's some inequality, we blame it on socioeconomic forces. And hear me say that it is those things, and I'm not expunging our responsibility that we have in wrongdoing, or that humanity has in wrongdoing. Because after all, inequality of wealth, perhaps, in the world does occur because some people believe they are entitled to more resources than anyone else. But I guess what I'm trying to say here, and my invitation to you, is not to see the workings of evil solely based on a rational cause and effect relationship of everything, and everything that we can eventually control. Instead, what I'm inviting us to see is that is something that might be more deeply working and pervasive and powerful beyond what we can fully comprehend or see. One of my um, favorite superhero movies is, uh, or characters, is Batman. And in the movie The Dark Knight, there's an exchange between Bruce Wayne, who is Batman, and his butler, Alfred. 
At this point in the movie, the Joker, who's this sinister and diabolical character, has turned the city upside down, both dismantling the network of mob bosses and police forces alike. As Bruce Wayne is seeking to devise a plan of how to stop the Joker, he tells Alfred in a very cool and calculated and level-headed manner, Alfred, criminals aren't complicated. We just need to figure out what motivates him. What is he after? But then Alfred, who's played by Michael Caine, responds in this manner. I'm going to try to do the Michael Caine impression, so we'll see how this goes. With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't completely understand. He continues, a long time ago I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. The government was trying to buy local leadership of tribes by bribing them with precious stones. But the caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with the bandit. But one day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing it away. Now Bruce Wayne, through furrowed brow, asks, so why then steal them? To which Alfred answered, suppose he was doing a good sport. But because some men aren't looking for anything logical like money, they can't be bought or bullied or reasoned or negotiated with, some men, Mr. Wayne, just want to watch the world burn. Now, Alfred ultimately reduces the Joker to an explanation, and I get that kind of underlies what I'm trying to get at here. But it is, what I'm trying to get at is that sometimes there are things in this life where we come up against, like Batman was coming up against, and that Alfred was speaking to, that is beyond sensible or logical or truly comprehensible things for our rational mind to understand. That some are not motivated by anything but pure evil. And I tell this story because it invites us to see that we, like Bruce Lane, might attempt to reduce all evil to a manner of consequences or natural motives. Because it helps us then know how to act and address the problem. However, as Alfred points out, there is evil in the world that defies what we can understand. And it's what our passage in Ephesians points to, I think. There's an evil in the world that goes beyond what we can see. An evil in the world that is greater than our ability as humans to stand up against and overcome. If you need evidence of, of this, look no further than the fact that the 20th century, a, a century of incredible human innovation and transition and achievement and transformation was also the bloodiest in human history. Human reason and creativity giving way to modern medicine and democracy and aviation, but also Nazi Germany and Marxism and American bombing of Japan. That there's something larger at work and some forces that we as humans can't work ourselves out of by ourselves. And therefore, we shouldn't underestimate what Ephesians is talking about, about this pervasive power of evil in this world. And we should remain open to what scripture teaches that there is the presence 
of evil in the world that goes beyond our ability to control on our own. And that our ultimate struggle is not against one another, but against the cosmic powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil. And I think if we can remain open to that possibility and not underestimate that, then we can truly then be open to receiving the truth and the gracious teaching of God and scripture about evil so that while we cannot fully comprehend or overcome it ourselves, God's word can then teach us and direct us in how to be in the midst of it and how to be because ultimately God's agenda and the rule that God is bringing can overcome it and has overcome it and will overcome it. One of the places where evil is personified in the story of scripture is in Jesus' temptation. He's been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights without water. And along comes Satan, who in the Old Testament, his name means accuser. But here, this one is listed as devil or diablos. A figure that I might not add is not red or harnessing a pitchfork or with a split tongue. Diablos is a noun form of a Greek verb meaning to lie or to slander. And so the main way the devil or the evil one or this pervasive force of darkness works is to lie to us or to slander us, others, and God. One thing that I want to share with you um, this past week from pastor in New York City, Tim Keller, that actually helped me to grasp this concept of um, Satan is in a, in a sermon he had, and he says that the evil one will lie to us in, in two ways. First, by temptation, or second, by accusation. So the evil one will either tempt us or accuse us, meaning the evil one will speak to our heart or mind or soul and tempt us with a view of ourselves that downplays God's truth and puffs us up and our sense of self up, causing us to build up walls of pride and self-sufficiency. Or the evil one will speak to us a view of ourselves or yourself that is too low, hiding from you the loving speech of God and causing the walls of self-understanding to come crumbling down. And when we allow this speech and these lies to come in and invade and take hold, we lose the center of what we've learned so far in Ephesians and the speech of God, which says to us that we are a beloved son or daughter. When we lose this center that we found in Ephesians, what happens is that we begin to outfit ourselves according to those lies. Um, there's a pastor, Frederick Buchner, who does a really good out illustration of how we might outfit ourselves when we listen to these lies. Each day, the evil one would tell us a narrative. Gird your loins with wisdom, the sad wisdom of the world which knows that dog eats dog, that the gods help those who help themselves, and that charity begins and ends only at home. Put on the breastplate of self-confidence 
Because if you have no faith in yourself, if you cannot trust your own wits, then you will never get anywhere in life. Let your feet be shod with the gospel of success. The good news that you can get just about anything in this world if you want it badly enough and are willing to fight for it. Above all, take the shield of security because in a perilous world where anything can happen, security is perhaps what you need more than anything else. The security of money in the bank or a college degree or some basic skill. And take the helmet of attractiveness or personality and the sword of wit. You'll notice that this thing that Frederick Buechner does invites us to just put it all on ourselves. And that's the lie that the, the evil one and the evil forces try to purport to us and the narrative that the evil one would like us to buy into, that it all has to be on us. In chapter 8 of John's Gospel, Jesus calls the devil the father of lies, in whom there is no truth. And later on, he says that this liar comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The diabolical scream of the evil one is to feed us this narrative. Lies that we don't need God, and that we are not good enough, or we're good enough alone without God. And yet the good news of Scripture, of a good narrative, is about the Holy Spirit speaking to us about the love of God and Jesus. Speaking to us and revealing that we are loved more immeasurably than we could ever imagine. And that the love of God is lovingly honest about the ways we, in our hearts, perhaps have gone astray. Or our souls have built up solid walls of pride. Or minds have been hardened against the truth. And the Spirit leads us to overcome these ways that the devil tempts us. The love of God is a lovingly gracious voice telling us that we are beautifully and wonderfully made and that there is no black fault line upon your soul and my soul that the blood of Christ has not erased and that God calls each of us to a life of flourishing and fulfillment as much for us as for the world. Yes, we should not underestimate the evil one and the powers of evil, but secondly, we cannot overestimate the power of love in God for us. And that first part of Ephesians says that we are to be strong in the strength and the power of God. In the very opening of Ephesians, it says God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in every age to come. Isn't that an incredible juxtaposition, that right there about Christ being seated over every power, juxtaposed against the powers of evil and darkness that this passage we read today talks about. I once heard uh, a Catholic theologian say that the death and rising of Jesus is really a stick in the eye of death, a final laugh that God gets and the devil doesn't. 
For in dying and rising, Jesus has broken the power of the evil one and given us a chorus, O death, where is your sting? And O hell, where is your victory? The victory of God in Christ is an inauguration of God's decisive win over sin and evil and death, whatever we see and cannot see. And the word of God teaches a narrative of how the evil one sought to disrupt the harmony of the world and the unity of God with us. But God has worked decisively to overcome that in every way. You see that when God rescued his people from the powers of evil and darkness in Egypt, bringing them out. But that there is a longing strain in the Old Testament of struggle and wrestling, not only between God and God's people, but also God against the powers of evil in the world. Isaiah speaks powerfully to this throughout his book, and I think is the pretext for our passage in Ephesians today. And I say this because most people believe that the armor is relating to Roman armor at the time, but I think is actually more faithfully understood when seen in light of what Isaiah talks about, when Isaiah is prefiguring God who would come to overthrow these powers of evil in the world. Listen to some of these songs from Isaiah throughout the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 11 says that a descendant shall come from the lineage of King David, and the spirit shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. It's an image of preparedness for battle. Isaiah 59. He will put on, a, on righteousness like a breastplate, and a helmet, a helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaims peace and who bring good tidings, who proclaims salvation and says, your God reigns. Isaiah 11, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Imagery for our passage in Ephesians is born out of the writer's vision of God in the Old Testament and in Isaiah. The God, a Messiah who's outfitted with armor of God to be set, to set on conquering the powers of evil. And so lest we fall prey to another one of the evil one's wiles and, and gain this violent machismo complex of God, let us remember that the longing for God come and conquer death and evil was fulfilled ultimately by the one who armed himself in the fullness of flesh and grace and truth. Who said, God's spirit is on me to announce good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and that this is the hour of God's favor. Lest we think that God is some vengeful, vindictive individual who is about warring in this world, let us remember what Isaiah says and how Christ fulfilled that prophecy of Isaiah. He who had no form or majesty that we should look on him, but was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. He bore our infirmities and carried our diseases, and by his bruises we are healed. God's way of overcoming the world was not by waging violence, but overcoming evil with goodness, love, and peace. 
And in turn, this goodness in the flesh was something that the evil one could not understand. As in C.S. Lewis's famous Chronicles of Narnia book, the lion, Aslan, said in a moment after being brought to life, said about the evil witch who snared and killed him, the witch knew of a deep magic, but there is a magic that is deeper still. And that magic is epitomized in African Bishop Desmond Tutu's words, goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. And so victory is ours through him who loves us. Yeah, we shouldn't underestimate the evil one, but we cannot overestimate the triumph of God's power. And so then, let us stand, thirdly, strong together by putting on God's own armor that God gives to us. All these things that we see in Isaiah, we see in Christ, and God gives to us. That's what the Ephesians writer is saying. But let's resist the trap of self-deprecation and surrender and being told that we're something lesser. Fleeing like a beaten army from a victory that's already been achieved. Let's resist the other wiles of prideful notion that we know all that is evil and that we know how to overcome it. The beauty of this passage is that the writer intimates that God gives us his own armor, that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, equips us with every blessing that empowered him in his ministry. And as and Randy was saying, it's as much for our protection. Nobody would step out of their house in the morning without being clothed and fit for something that they knew they had that day. Nobody would enter into a battle without protecting what is most vital. And so God offers us gifts that we might protect ourselves and guard our hearts, our minds. And so I pray that we together as a community of faith might together help to equip one another by studying and knowing God's word, by praying with one another, by encouraging one another. So there's an aspect of protection, but there's also an aspect of also being proactive in this world and being a light to, these na to the nations and to the world so that we reveal the kingdom that has come on earth and help transform the world. Something that is epitomized in the work and life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Who epitomized his work in the concept of nonviolent resistance and the thought of how powerful love can be. And I encourage you perhaps to go read his letter to, uh, from a Birmingham jail after this service because it's a powerful representation of the force of love in the world. He says, we must not seek to defeat or humiliate the enemy, but to win his friendship and understanding. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Therefore, let us put on most of all love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, as Paul writes. Let's pray. God, thank you for your armor which you give to us, an armor of peace and something that transforms this world, not through violence, but through love. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us to know how to equip ourselves for this work in the world day by day. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.